0: you can clap for Jesus. Come on, give it up for Jesus. All right. Hey, thank you guys for having me back. I've enjoyed being here. I, I love lecturing and uh, getting to be in class with you, but I really love preaching God's word. So since you brought a paper Bible to chapel, turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter three, we're going, we going hard today. How many of you say I'm ready for a word? Okay, for all of you that aren't ready, just go on, pack it up, roll out if you need to. I came to preach today. Like, I, I feel like this is a word that's going to change our school uh, forever if, the Lord, if you'll let the Lord have his way. Y'all ready for that? Yeah. How about the rest of you? Yeah, man, I'm telling you, as a pastor, this is one of the hardest things, to ask for response and get 20% feedback. You know what I'm saying? Like It's like an 8 o'clock crowd on a Sunday. Good morning, everybody. No one talks to you. You guys ready for the word? Yeah. All right. Well, hey. Thanks for being here again. My name is Mike. I get to serve as lead pastor of Life Point Church. That's God's assignment on my life. I'm in Clarksville, Tennessee. I'm so honored to be the pastor there 11 years. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in the AG. I met an AG girl in college who was in Jeff Grinnell's youth group, and she said, I'm not going to date you because um, I don't want to waste a date, on, first date on you. I'm going to pray. And so she had never dated anyone but me, but she introduced me to the AG and the Chi Alpha and uh, the ministry followed after that. But I'm really excited today. Uh, first of all, thanks, Dr. Hagen, Jeff Grinnell, Dr. Graham, Dr. Hager, for the hospitality here. You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much. But I have my oldest daughter, Lucy, with me today. First college visit ever. Very excited to bring her. My daughter is amazing, I'm so proud. We have four girls, I think I told you that last time I was here, and so uh, I know life with girls, I'm always pulling long hairs off of some article of clothing in our house. So, man, girls, y'all shed more than any animal, I know, I don't understand where that comes from. First time I was here to preach, I preached uh, last spring out of Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus said, I see your works, you're doing great things, but this is what I have against you, you don't love me anymore. You love the work you do for me, you just don't love me And he called the church back to repentance, to do the basics. He said, return to your first love. Do the things you did at first and return to Jesus. I love the theme that occurs in Jesus' letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I love how he calls them back to a place of devotion. I I love that over and over again, Jesus calls the church to stay all in. How many of you know it's easy to drift into bland? It's easy to drift into lukewarm. You know how you become lukewarm? Do nothing and just wait. And you will naturally gravitate back to blah. Jesus consistently calling the church back to going all in. And that's where we're going to land again today. But this time in Revelation 3, a familiar text to all of us. But I'm afraid it's a text that's been misrepresented and mishandled for a long time, at least as I've been a person listening to sermons. Revelation 3, uh, this is the last of the seven letters. Jesus says in verse 14, now to the angel of the church in Laodicea. So he's writing to the the angels of the churches or the leaders of the churches. And he's writing all seven of these letters and he starts with the leadership and he brings it to leadership. If you ever want to be in church leadership, let me tell you something, God's going to deal with you first. If you can't handle God dealing with you before God lets you deal with others, you better not go into church leadership because he's going to bring it to you first. To the angel of the church at Laodicea, write these, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He's writing, these are the words of Jesus. And he starts with some really strong language. This is the final letter. I feel like, you know, in the first letter, he started a little flowery. The second letter, he's like, I see you guys. You're so awesome. By this one, he's like, here we go. He starts strong by telling them, be useful to God. Be useful to the Lord. And he says this in verse 15. I know your works. How many of you thankful God sees everything you do? God's never unaware of the things you're putting your hand to. He's never unaware of what you're doing. In the the earlier letters, he kind of expands. You're doing this. You're holding leaders accountable. You're caring for the widow and the poor. Now he just jumps. I know what you do, and you're neither hot nor cold. I would that you would be either hot or cold. I love how he starts this. He starts by affirming that I see you. I'm watching you. I'm paying attention to you. You are never doing ministry isolated from the eyes of God. This is his ministry. Ministry actually is not something you do. It's about you partnering with God. Ministry is about getting on board with what God's already doing in the earth. And the Lord is excited that we want to be involved in doing the work of ministry because it's what God's doing. How many of you know God is always on mission to reach people far from God and to develop people who are found by God? Amen. So he says, I see what you're doing. I know your works. He starts all of his letters this way. And it's letting them know, like, God is paying attention. You're not doing anything without his attention. And listen, that also means you're never doing anything in secret. He watches us. He cares about what's going on. He sees it. You may not see the rewards. You may not see the impact. But I'm telling you, God sees it. I love that we serve a God who is a very real and present God. He's aware. Man, that's encouraging. He knows your wins. He knows your defeats. He knows your challenges, your victories. And then let me just add a layer to that for those of you that are maybe you're not in a place of ministry yet, like officially, but you are because you're a Christian. Let me just remind you, he also knows everything happening in your personal life, too. God knows because you're his follower that you belong to him. He cares about you. He knows all that's happening in you and through you and with you. He knows your struggles, your pains, your secrets. He knows your victories. He knows who you're praying for. He actually is watching them too. He knows your hopes and dreams, your aspirations. He knows who you love. He knows who you lust after. He knows who hurt you. He knows when you honor him and he sees when you dishonor him. Man, we have a good God. He, he knows you because he loves you. Can I hear an amen? If, if, if that's not a great start for the heart of God to go, man, I know everything about you. You know what that tells me? I got nothing to hide. You ever start a sentence with, can I be honest with you? <laughs> I feel like sometimes we approach the Lord like that. Okay, Lord, can I just be honest for just a second? And God's like, I know everything about you. <laughs> By the way, whenever anyone starts with me saying, can I be honest with you? I go, have you not been already? <laughs> you know, anyway, that's just a fun little, fun little dig there. But then he takes his quick turn. Now listen, he's writing to the Christians at Laodicea and he says, I know your works You are neither hot or cold. And then he adds, I would rather that you be hot or cold. Now, my whole Christian life, I've misunderstood this passage. And I've been really hard on myself. And I've always understood this text to essentially say, God's saying, I want you to be really hot. Or if you're cold, I can't handle you. Like, I want you to be all in or all out. It's an either or proposition. It's an ultimate DTR, right? Come on, somebody, defining the relationship. Jesus is saying... I want you either all in with me, really hot, or all out with me, really cold. It's like, it's like either fish or cut bait, dance or leave the party. It seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't jive with the rest of the attitude of Jesus very often. Now, we know that Jesus wants us all in, white hot. But does Jesus really want us all out, really cold? And I think part of our misunderstanding is this hot and cold um, binary way of thinking. Does he really want us all in or just get out of here? Is he really saying like, let's do this thing or get out of my face. It's like playground rules. It's mob boss mentality. It's not Sunday school teacher Christianity, right? The context for the Laodiceans will help you. They were an affluent city, which is in modern day Turkey. They were a props. They were a prosperous trade route known for commerce, banking, manufacturing of clothing. And in Laodicea, they had a famous By world famous, I mean in the known world. They had a world famous eye clinic or or ocular medical school. They were actually uh, there was a connection for the city to great water resources and hot springs in Laodicea. The hot springs were used for healing and for medicine, and then they had cool water sources that they used for drinking, refreshing, and play. It was kind of like a hot spring community with lake, cool lakefront as well. You guys have lakes all over the place here, so you know cold lakes. How many of you know how refreshing that can be in the summer? (laughs) Um, They enjoyed cold lakes. They enjoyed cold springs. They played in them. They vacationed there. They also had hot springs, which they used for medicinal purposes, and they used them as spas and retreats and places for, for healing and help. And so for Laodicea, they were wealthy. They had all their material needs met. They were leaders in world markets, And regarding these waters, they knew that hot water was useful for bringing care, healing, and treatment. They also knew that cold water was useful for drinking, relaxing, refreshing, swimming, and play and retreats. Neither hot nor cold were good. They were useful. One wasn't better than the other. They were simply useful. So it wasn't about being really hot versus really cold. It was saying, I want you to be really useful or really useful. I want you to be really passionate or really f- soothing. I want you to be really gifted and really faithful or, or on, on one side of the spectrum or the other. What a lot of times we do is we go, well, if I'm not a big personality, if I'm not a big, sanguine, gregarious, outgoing, uh, eight on the Enneagram, if I'm not that kind of personality, how can I be used for God? Let me tell you something. My wife is nothing like me. I'm 6'6", six, six, she's 5'3". I'm really funny, she's really serious. I'm the life of the party, she plans the party. I walk into a room and I set it on fire, she comes in a room, she calms it all down. I'm hot, she's cold. She's hot, let's not discri- you know, let's just be real clear. <laughs> let's, let's just be clear about that right now, you know what I'm saying. The personality differences between us could not be more different. I'm the ultimate extrovert, she's the introvert. I'm gonna read the Bible and proclaim it, she's gonna spend a lot of time in prayer and worship. Both are useful. Both are useful to the kingdom of God, both have their place. What we've given into is this personality juggling and we go, if I'm not the all hot, all the time personality, anytime you enter the room, if I'm not that, I must be cold. No, no, no. We need cold people. We need soothing, chill, cool people. Every listen, you lighter, you you hot personalities. You guys walk into the room and you set it on fire. And egg, you're the life of the party. Everyone loves when you come around, and then everyone's healed from you coming around from them cool, chill people. You're the one. You're, the cool people are the one. You see all of us frazzled by big extroverts walking down the hall, going, oh, you know. It's like, what happened to you? I was hanging out with Jeff Cornell for the last thirty minutes. That's what happened to me. <laughs> come in here, brother. Let me calm you down. Anybody know what I'm talking about. This is, listen, this gives room for you to be who God made you to be and never question that, right? I'm a fire up personality. You may be a cool you off personality, but listen, both are good. Here's the point. Be useful, for the master. Be useful for Jesus. Be, be the kind of person in your calling and assignment and your spiritual formation. Maybe you light a fire in the lives of people to get a move towards the things of God. Maybe you cool people down and bring them times of refreshing with God. Know who you are. Don't compare yourself to the gifts or the mantles of other people. You be who God designed you to be, but be faithful and useful in being that person completely. In the ministry world, you know, we only celebrate the big personalities, but I'm telling you what, that's only one out of 50 of our staff members. It's all the other staff are behind the scenes and administrative and not doing what I do. They, I couldn't do this without having them. And you be as cool and refreshing as God has gifted you to be. Don't ever look down on not having a gregarious personality and don't ever look down on those who do because those people need to be cooled down too sometimes. Hey bro, you've been going hard for three days. You need to Shut up and rest. You know what I'm saying? Like you just need a... Need a little fallout in their life. Just blow them over. So I've misunderstood that text forever. If I'm not all hot for the things of God, if I'm not charging hell with a water pistol, if I'm not, you know, reaching every single person that I've ever met and come in contact with, with that super gregarious personality, man, I must be cold. And God doesn't have a place for me. That's not the way to see that verse. To see the verse... Here he's just saying, like, don't even pay attention to how, what's your degree of hot or cold. Just be useful. I want you to be useful. I want you to be refreshing. I want you to be healing. I want you to be, uh, like, all hot or all cold, however you are designed. Then he says the warning, not to be lukewarm. But, go on, he says, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Even now, we all know that lukewarm water is not nearly as useful as hot or cold. We don't like lukewarm coffee or tea, room temperature grits. Come on, Southerners. We don't wash dishes with lukewarm or brush our teeth with warm water. We we don't like a lukewarm shower unless it's intentional. And we know how much that's just terrible. The point that Jesus was trying to make is in becoming lukewarm, you're just not useful for me. Now, notice how he starts the letter. I see everything you're doing. You're just not useful to me. You might be useful to you. You might be useful to what kingdom you're building. But Jesus is saying, you're not useful to my kingdom. You've drifted into lukewarm. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that don't mind lukewarm Christianity. There's a lot of people that don't mind, don't step on me kind of encroachment Christianity. There's a lot of people that say, don't ruffle the feathers. Don't upturn the apple cart. Don't disrupt the way we do things around here. But if we're going to take ground for the kingdom, God needs people that are useful I like how your speaker yesterday at your student-led chapel said, do we say we love God? Do we love this city? Are we praying for our city? Useful. You know what's lukewarm? Thinking about praying about our city. I should probably start praying for my city. That's lukewarm. Praying for your city is hot or cold. It's useful. At this point, this is the point that Jesus was trying to make. They weren't being useful to him. They were lukewarm. They were in the middle. They were not hot to make a difference or cold to bring refreshing to others. In fact, warm water, especially warm salt water, was inducing vomiting. That's why Jesus said, I'll, sp- I'll vomit you out of my mouth because that lukewarm nature of what you are will make me gag and throw up. Lukewarm water was always wasted in the first century. Jesus is trying to be very direct to his church, and I believe to us as well. Listen, his desire is that we be faithful to the assignment of our lives, faithful to the kingdom of God, faithful to be useful to him. And if we won't, he'll expel us from his kingdom, or we will expel ourselves. I've watched so many people who, in boredom of Christianity or boredom of ministry, are not getting the white-hot experience that they think they're owed— They self-eject from the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christianity because they have drifted into lukewarm. It doesn't take hard work to become lukewarm. Being lukewarm for Jesus is being bloated, having what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace Christianity. Can I tell you, there's no place for that type of Christian in the Christian kingdom. He wants us all in and passionate. Now, you can't just say, well, that's your personality. That's how you are. No, this was Jesus' personality. This is what he required of all of his disciples. In Luke 17, he says to them, if you won't deny everything to come follow me, you can't be my disciples. You have to hate everything second to loving me first. It's an all-in appeal or nothing. If you've not read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, every one of you should own it. Get the page numbers tattooed on your lower back if you need to so you'll remember it. He wrote a powerful tangent about cheap grace Christianity. He says, this is salvation without repentance. You don't just get saved and keep living now, sterilizing your sin. You turn from your sin. He said, cheap grace Christianity is baptism into the body without discipleship and discipline from the body. It's wanting to go to heaven, but living like hell. All throughout the New Testament, it was an all in, cost you everything, never turn back on Jesus type of Christianity. But for us, we have, as the church in this country, grown to become lukewarm. Lukewarm. It's honestly one of the strongest things I think Christians need to hear and one of the things I feel so compelled to talk about as a pastor in the day that we live in today is I want to see a church that reaches lost people who are far from God, no doubt about it. 52% of our church were unchurched or de-churched before coming to life point. But second to that, I want to help churches be revitalized and caught on fire again for usefulness to the kingdom of God. What kind of witness are we if we are a lukewarm, bloated, fat, sassy church? We have no power if we're not useful to the kingdom of God. I want so badly to be white hot in my passion for Christ. I want to be useful to God, fired up, consistent, available. I want it to cost me something. But if you don't get the fire stoked in your life, if you don't put more cubes on the ice of your cool personality, it'll eventually temper into lukewarm. It's like drift. It's lazy. It's unfocused. Listen, you never drift to a desired location. Drift is always dangerous. Drift is easy. Drift is no work. That's the condition that we can easily get into if we don't daily stay buffeted before the Lord and disciplined before God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Can I tell you, I think it's happened to some of us. And at the risk of offending you, I want to tell you, Jesus would write this letter again and again and again if it got your attention. To get your heart back to Him. I've got some real strong feelings about this, and I desperately want to hear my, you to hear my heart on this. We've grown comfortable in our walk with Jesus in America. We've grown warm in our devotion life, our obedience life, our church life, our passions. We've allowed sin to cause us to become warm. We've allowed cultural convictions to become compromising convictions. We've allowed busyness and distractions and other things to draw us away. Our our desire for influence, our obsession over other people's highlight reels. We've allowed so many things to lull us away into a life of just warm Christianity. We get really passionate about moments of the kingdom, but we're not super passionate about all of the kingdom. Am I talking to any Christians right now besides my family and my church and who I'm talking to? If I were to be honest, I think if Jesus were to preach this sermon today, it would offend you as much as it probably did the Laodiceans. But you would have to be the one responsible to answer the question Are you hot or cold? Are you useful to the kingdom of God? If you're waiting to graduate to become useful, you're lukewarm. If you're waiting to take one more class to share your faith, you're lukewarm. If you belong to Jesus, the Great Commission belongs to you. And so we are to be on mission at all times to build and advance the kingdom of heaven. It's hard as a pastor to preach every week, receive amens. Here, that was a great word. I needed that. And then know, because of the rhythm of Christianity, that we as the body of Christ do not live at the potential God has for us as his church. Let me just be a pastor for a moment, and you let the Spirit of God speak through you through this for a minute. Some of us aren't living like God has fashioned us to live. Some of us aren't praying like God has invited us to pray. Some of us aren't giving or serving, inviting others, worshiping like God has designed for us. If Jesus were to preach this message today, how would you respond? Would you argue with him? Would you defend your drift? Would you say this? God knows my heart. That is one of the most lazy Ridiculous catch-all statements that we say in the church. You know what Jeremiah said about that? Yeah, God knows your heart. The heart is wicked above all things, which is why Jesus came, because your heart you can't trust. Your heart's jacked up. I don't trust my heart. I don't trust your heart. God knows your heart. Yep, I see your works. Your heart is booty. That's a theological term. I don't know if you have a sign for that. Booty. There it is. B-O-O-T-Y. I don't trust my heart. I trust the spirit of God. Are y'all getting anything out of this so far? Because I feel like I'm preaching better than you're shouting me. Would you argue? Would you defend Drift? Would you roll your eyes at Jesus? Like he's being zealous? Oh, Jesus, you're just Jesus. Or would you hear this and be challenged to adjust your life and adjust your devotion and adjust your willingness to be useful? I've allowed comfort, boredom, Cultural norms, distractions to get in the way of my passion. Some of us are more passionate for the cultural distractions of our day. Did you know our world has always been messed up? We've gotten so white hot passionate about our latest thing that we're championing for and our latest hashtag, but are you passionate for the kingdom? I'll give you some markers and then we got to, I don't even know how much time I have left, but I'm going to finish this. Markers of lukewarm versus useful. Lukewarm is Consumer. Useful as contributor. If you go to a church and don't serve it, you're lukewarm. I'm just gonna tell you. Say that. If you're a taker, not a giver. If you're isolated and insulated, private versus relational and connected. If you're a watcher, not a participator. If you're hypocritical, not devoted. If you're a weekend warrior, not a lifestyle for Jesus. If you're living in compromise versus truly repentant, set-apart life for Christ. If you're excuse-making versus submissive. So, so he challenges us, check out your devotion. Hang on just a second, guys. In verse 17, he says, For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. This is them, he's giving our own response to Jesus. He goes, You're lukewarm, you're not useful. And you would say, But I have everything I need. I'm rich and prosperous. Boy, that's the world we live in. And Jesus says, You don't even realize you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is part of being lukewarm. We've allowed the blessings of God to become a replacement for God. We've said, God, I've got your blessing, your prosperity. i got the girl I want, the phone I want, the job I want, the career I want. And God says, but you're wretched, pitiable, naked, poor, and blind. You don't even realize that what I've blessed you with has become a replacement for me. He says, I counsel you. Buy gold from me, don't get your gold from this world. Buy gold refined by my fire so that you may be rich. Put on my garment so that you may clothe yourself and and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve your and anoint your eyes so that you may see again. Jesus is saying, come back to me. Let me be your provision. Let me be your source of affirmation and let me be the one who promotes you. Stop trying to be a self-promoter. Stop trying to make your own way in this kingdom. He says, you don't even realize all the things that you're blessed with have become my replacement. You're, you're no longer useful to me. Man, if Jesus would say this to the church, this isn't written to the world. This is written to us. I had somebody tell me once, I've done the church thing. I've been there, done that, tried it. It's as if somebody thinks they can outgrow a need for Christ in his church. That's what Christians do when we drift. But I love the, the, the heart behind Christ, verse 19 and 21. It's a love letter, right? He says, those whom I love, memory starts with, I see you. Now he says, it's because I love you. He's not writing this because he's mad at us. He's writing it because he loves us, because he wants us, because he's so desirous of us. He says, those who I love, I reprove. I take the time to bring correction and admonishment and training and discipline. Discipline's not about punitive. It's about discipleship. He says, I'm telling you this because it's good for you. I love you so much that I would tell you don't drift into laziness. Don't drift into lukewarmness. Don't drift into complacency. Look at what he says then. Be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Turn up the fire. Put more ice on your cold water. I don't, whatever it has to take for you to become useful again, make that a priority for you. And then look, it's because he loves us. Watch this. He says, repent. He's given us the option to come back again. I love it. In chapter uh, two, he gives us the option to come back. In chapter three, he's given us the option to come back. Can I tell you something? On December 31st, he's going to give you the option to come back. On January 1st, he's going to give you the option to come back. Why? Because he loves you and he's for you and he wants you to be useful for the kingdom. Then he says this text, which has been so misquoted. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and I'll eat with him and he'll be with me. Here's what he's not saying. This is not a salvation text. This is a text to the church. This is Jesus. Watch this. Listen, this is Jesus going, you're lukewarm, but I want to help you get hot again. Will Will you let me help you? I mean, what a good God. He doesn't say, pull up your bootstraps, get this figured out, get it right, and I'll come check on you next week. He goes, man, I love you so much. I'm willing to even come in and help you get hot again. I'm willing to come in and help you be useful to the kingdom again. I know you guys got to go. Last thing. He says, the one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne as I've conquered and sat with my father on his throne. And then he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear. Look at it. What the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, says to who? Not just the Laodicean church. That's us, folks. He's saying, let anybody who has an ear to hear what God's saying, listen to what God is saying. So, church, what's God saying to you? I don't need you to decide right now, are you hot or cold, are you extrovert for your personality? I want you to tell the Lord right now. And you know already, are you useful to the kingdom of God Or have you drifted into just bland, lukewarm, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I go to church, but you're not useful for his kingdom. He writes this to Christians. And he ends with, let anybody who has an ear to hear what God's saying, let them hear what I'm saying. So what's God saying to you? If Jesus Christ stood here in his man robe and preached this same sermon, the chapel at North Central? Would you defend yourself? Would you roll your eyes? Oh, you're just a zealot Christian, Jesus. Or would you repent like he invites us to? Say, man, I don't care what I do. I just want to be useful. It doesn't matter what assignment or appointment I have coming my way. It doesn't matter what job I end up in in ministry. I just want to be useful to the kingdom of God. And if you've drifted from that place of usefulness and passion for the things of God, he gives you the out. Repent. Come back to me. And if you'll get this right, look what he said. You'll sit with me on my throne. (laughs) You'll have my authority. You'll have my power. Let he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can we stand in the room today? And I just want to lead you in a moment of prayer. I know some of you are leaving for class, and I'm not going to tell you what to do there. But I do want to ask you, to respond to this message. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. You know your life, and so does God. He starts with, I know everything about you. So would you let the Spirit speak to your heart today and then respond appropriately? If you want to respond in a time of prayer, I don't actually want to sing right away. I don't want to respond with worship. I want to respond with repentance. Don't tell God how good he is. Tell God how, how much you're sorry. And tell God... How you're going to get this you, with his help. Here I stand at the door knock. I'll come in and help you. Open your life up to let God help you with this. Don't tell him how great he is. Tell him how sorry you are. Tell him how willing you are to give him all of yourself. Wherever you need to go in the room. If you don't have to leave, don't leave. But let's respond to God right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. Thank you that it's still alive and active and powerful and sharp, transformative and changing us. And God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would absolutely bring transformational change to our hearts, our minds, our lives right now. In Jesus' name, we know where we've drifted into lukewarm living, passionless Christianity. We're checking the boxes, we're going in the flow. We're not doing anything necessarily wrong, we're just not doing anything right. God, I pray that you'd fix that right now, that you would bring us to a place of brokenness and repentance. And so, Lord, now I pray that the Spirit of God would take over this room take over this audience, and Lord God, that you would do in us whatever it is that you've called from this message. God, you would break some things off of us. You would bring us to a place of brokenness and repentance. If you want to get out of your seat and just move around this room and find a place with God, come on, let's respond to the Lord right now. Don't sing about him. Talk to him. Tell him what you're going to do. Tell him your sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance and transformation. Come on, let's spend time with God. If you need to leave, God bless you. It's been an honor to be with you. I'll see you tomorrow. But let's respond to the Lord in this text. And don't leave without responding to the Lord either.